1: Welcome to another edition of Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. I've been giving a lot of thought to the fact that uh, in the first week of June, Political Rewind will begin its 10th year on the air, which is very exciting uh, to me. We created this show uh, back in 2014, had no idea how successful it would be, and fortunately, um, it's a show that many of you have embraced either on the radio or in the podcast version. And, and so I, as I thought about that, I realized that in those many years, we've developed a pool of remarkable panelists, more than three dozen people who uh, we call upon to do the show. Sometimes um, some of them are much more regular than others, but it's a pretty big network of interesting, smart, uh, thoughtful people who come on the air to talk with us about politics. Excuse me. But I also thought about the fact that we don't talk about who we are on this show very often. And I think that at times that's an important thing to do, because when you hear someone express... A, a position on a particular political issue, it's easy to pigeonhole them. You decide they're either liberal or conservative. They're red or they're blue. Um, and it—and once you do that, you decide whether you like them or you don't. Uh, the reality is, though, that uh, all of us are much, much more complicated and complex, uh, much more, I think, um, uh, uh, fully realized people beyond our narrowest political views. And and it strikes me that every now and then, we should give you a chance to know more about the panelists on the show. And this is a particularly good time to do that, I think, because we're sort of in a holding pattern on some of the biggest stories in the news. So, for instance, we're still waiting for the United States Supreme Court to issue a ruling on Mifepristone, the abortion pill. We're waiting for the state Supreme Court to rule on whether Georgia's heartbeat law is constitutional, is legal. We're waiting for Fulton County District Attorney Fani Willis to decide whether she is going to be indicting anyone, including the potential of Donald Trump uh, in, uh, in her uh, case, uh, about efforts to overturn the 2020 election. We're waiting... For other candidates to jump into the presidential contest, waiting now for apparently Joe Biden to announce his campaign next week. Ron DeSantis hovering in the background. So with all the waiting going on, this is a great day to talk about the people who we love having on this show. And um, I'm thrilled that we have uh, four of our very favorites today. Um, Three of us are journalists starting with Jim uh, Galloway, who, of course, is a regular on the show. And as I've said on a number of occasions, Jim, you were with us from the very start. You were on the first Political Rewind, and well over nine years later, you're still here. And I'm so happy to have you, Jim. Yeah, time really flies when you're having
2: this kind of fun, doesn't it? (laughs)
1: yes it does uh chuck williams another grizzled veteran journalist jim has spent 40 years as a journalist many of those doing politics chuck williams has been a journalist for more than three decades out of columbus georgia you've played a variety of roles uh chuck you've gone from working in as a sports reporter uh, to being on the managerial size of a newspaper newsroom, how many years were you uh, a newspaper guy before you turned to television? Uh,
3: for thirty-five years, Bill. I, on June the eighth, in August of this year, I'll celebrate my fortieth year in this business. So that's I, I'm really excited about that. And I I started on a typewriter. Now I'm on TV. You tell me how that. Is. <laughs>
1: Well, we're awfully glad to have you here today, and we're looking forward to hearing uh, some stories from the journalists on the panel uh, today. And we're also joined by two veteran political science professors, Amy Steigerwald, a professor of political science at Georgia State University, and now the incoming chair of the political science department at Georgia State. When does that take effect officially, Amy? When are you going to be far too busy to ever get uh get back on this show
0: (laughs) first and i'm hopeful i can carve out some time because because this i look forward to maybe not the administrative duties of chair but being on being on the show i look forward to so thanks for having me
1: well we will certainly continue to uh invite you to be on the show and that tammy greer professor of political science at clark atlanta university is also with us tammy One of the things that's really been delightful to my team at Political Rewind is that, um, you know, we've gotten to know all of you through your work on this show, but we've also seen you all get to know each other. And Amy Steigerwald told me something that I hadn't known, that since um, being on the show together, you, Amy, um, and I think Adrian Jones maybe, who uh, is Morehouse university political science professor and is on the show. You've all started to get together. You've gotten to know each other.
4: Yes, we're the three amigos. We're going to be triplets part two. Um, so <laughs> everyone watch out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Tammy, we're very, very happy to have you here. So I want to start with a little bit of personal journey. Um, and Jim, since you're the, 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 the most veteran participant in the show, just very briefly, where did you grow up? You you didn't you're you're not a, a native of Georgia, but you came here fairly early in life. Uh yeah, yeah.
2: I I w I wanna I wanna say that I was born in a log cabin. Uh I that'd be a great way to start this, <laughs> wouldn't it? But no, I was born in uh, a, a suburb of Cleveland. And uh and I guess uh my my political education uh, began when I was probably eight years old, and on November twenty second, nineteen sixty three, uh, uh, the assassination. That, uh, right. Well, it would that was it was the day that Kennedy was assassinated. It was also the day that I was carried south to Georgia.
1: Really. So, what, wow. what does that mean? Did you? Did you? Were you? Could you listen to a, a car radio as you were driving? I assume you were driving no, no.
2: south. Yeah, uh, yeah, we we at at uh, I think the the principal announced Kennedy's death maybe about one o'clock. By three o'clock, uh, oh, uh, we were on the road in a station wagon headed to headed to Atlanta, and uh, so we were kind of in a bubble there. Uh, that before I left, I I got into a going away present present for my teacher. It was uh, it was uh. A copy of Tom Sawyer it was my introduction to, to Mark Twain so so while everybody else was was kind of grieving Kennedy I was I was having a, a, a very good time discovering discovering a, a very funny writer who's, who still sticks with me today but we we uh, arrived in 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 in, uh, in Atlanta and I was dropped right into uh, the Fulton County desegregation fight at a small elementary school uh, on uh, Old National Highway
1: um, your school was uh, integrated, and and you were part of that class, or was it fighting integration? Oh,
2: there, it was no. This was nineteen sixty three. You hardly had any uh, outside of the city of Atlanta. I believe you hardly had any systems that were actually integrated at that point. Although there may have been a, a faculty member brought in or something as a as a, as a kind of a test drive, but uh, it okay. was it was a very much a a, a, a real issue there.
1: Okay, so what grade was that? This is third grade. You know, it's okay, it's, you're uh, in
2: third. I'm in third grade, Go ahead. and but uh, but you know when 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 I don't want to call it a traumatic event, but it was a great event, and uh, that it, it really imprinted on me.
1: How did it imprint? As a third grader, you were aware that there was an effort to integrate that school, and I just can't help but wonder what your thoughts were about black students coming into the school. I went to an all white elementary school, middle school, and high school in the suburbs of Chicago. Mm-hmm. I was far from any issues of integration.
2: Well you have to remember you have to remember when, when when Kennedy was shot, you know, across the South, you had this hope among white Southerners that, you know, that maybe that would stem the tide. Uh, and, and, and that Lyndon Johnson would come in and, and, and save them He quickly disproved that But you know, it's, uh, it, was, it, was, it was brought home to me in a very elementary school sort of way You know, I was introduced to my class, to Mrs. Cobb's third grade class And, uh, uh, and, and later that day, uh, uh, we boys adjourned to the boys' room And I was thoroughly interrogated as to whether I loved black people or not uh, Although it wasn't phrased wow. quite that way
1: Um, So thank you for sharing that. I want to hear more about uh, your stories uh, once you became a real Georgian. Chuck Williams, one of the things that's interesting about Galloway actually moving to the Atlanta area on the day of the assassination is that he came into a state that had overwhelmingly elected John F. Kennedy in 1960. He was a hero to Georgians. Um, But you're, you're a Southerner. Chuck, I think Alabama, but a native of Alabama, right? And then came to Georgia.
3: Alabama born and bred. I was, you know, to playing off what Jim said, we were in Montgomery in 68, 69, and we were living there, and my dad was an attorney, and um, my parents made a decision to pull me out of Montgomery Public Schools and put me in a private school shortly after that we moved to fall alabama about 90 miles away on the georgia line and i stayed in private school all the way through graduation what you would call today a segregation um and i was in barber county alabama that's the home of george wallace george wallace was ray is from clio so we are all We are all formed, as Jim was saying, by kind of where we were during that time. And I'm a little bit further down the train. I'm certainly not the boost than Jim was, but segregation, integration was certainly something that I was aware of as a kid. And you know, and you follow how it was a like fine school. You follow public school system to this day, is an outstanding school. And Lakeside, where I graduated from, was a good school. But I ended up in that, in that part of the world when you sort of talk about how integration, segregation shook things out because I, from third grade on, I was in private school.
1: Your parents put you into private schools, as did many white Southerners, to avoid being in an integrated school setting, Yes. My parents were
3: from Birmingham and Montgomery. They were products of their environment. Um, You know, and I'll probably get to it later in the show, but there's a piece of that that kind of goes to how I started to look at politics and people once I got to college and went to Troy, to Troy State University, Natural University, and you know, but i had not attended school with an african-american from kindergarten through the 12th grade i it you know you talk about people that go to historically black colleges and universities that may not have, have i mean i've got friends who came out of uh came out of segregation who attended all black schools their entire their entire educational career and kind of my my My
1: experience was the exact opposite. Tammy, what's fascinating to me about both Jim and uh, Chuck is, you know, for someone like me who grew up in the North, away from the whole issue of school integration, again, despite the fact I grew up in an all-white school system, um, it's interesting to think that we actually know people like a Jim and a Chuck who lived that experience um, when uh, they were children and, and the impact that it, it can have on you. Tell us about your story.
4: Um, so I grew up on Galveston Island, which is an actual island um, <laughs> uh, off the coast of Texas. Um, and um, I like to say that we grew up, everyone as an amateur meteorologist, so we can understand the hurricane season and how things <laughs> flow. Um, we, uh, my family is huge, um, humongous, uh, take up most of Galveston, I think. Um, and, you know, all I knew is community, um, because we, it's such a small place. Everyone knows everyone. You go to the, um, all of us went to the same one public high school that we had on the island after segregation. Um, and so... When my niece went to high school, the teachers kept calling her Tammy because she looks like me and, you know, it, it, it's the same. Um, I find it interesting to listen to Jim and to Chuck because um, my dad um, grew up um, and he, uh, at the time, um, his, Galveston was segregated when he graduated high school. Um, and um, they had they gave them a choice his his senior year whether he could go to the integrated school or be the last graduating class from the segregated school um, and my dad chose to stay at the segregated school um, to be part of the the final class but it's interesting to listen because even though Galveston is a small place um, and now everyone knows everyone. Um, My dad uh, grew up with um, my grandmother and his dad, but my grandmother, um, my dad's mom, passed for white for her entire life. And for, but she was very clear she was black, but she passed um, quite often because it was convenient at times and it allowed for her and um, my dad to go to different places. Uh, But then um, I realized as an adult that my father for his entire life uh, was sad because his his father couldn't go with them to places um, because he was um, very much a brown skinned man. Um, And that had a a great impact on my father. At the same time, what I saw from my grandmother, from both of my grandmothers and even my great grandmother who uh, passed at 101 um, my other grandmother, the one that passed for white, lived until she was 93. And um, my mom's mother, she is 90, and next week would be wed 65 years. What I've realized from all three of you know, the matriarchs in my family is that all of these challenges that come to us, um, particularly Black women, you know, they never took it as an opportunity to just sit and to be angry about it and to use it as a reason not to. Um, I've witnessed perseverance, um, regardless of race, sexism, colorism. I've witnessed um, still having the sense of community, still having um, the patience to be amazing mothers. um, And you know, it's it's it became a way of life. It also became uh, a testament to what you can do when you focus on the positive.
1: Tammy, let me just follow up, if I may, about that. You, your mother was light skinned enough to pass for white. You say she never did that intentionally. So, what you're suggesting is she allowed people, like if you wanted to go to a restaurant, she allowed people to believe she was white she never went out of her way to uh, to tell people she was uh white is i i think what you're saying yes
4: correct correct she was my grandmother was very bold that way
1: um okay so what what i i can't help but think about that remarkable um netflix movie passing which is the story of a dark-skinned uh, a, a black woman and a light-skinned black woman and their their extraordinary friendship um but which is so tainted by the fact that the lighter-skinned woman uh really does try to pass as white whenever she can and we learn in that movie how how difficult that can be was that traumatic at times for
4: your mother Oh for my grandmother. Um I mean I'm sorry, so, grandmother. Grandmother. It's okay. It's okay. Um for for her, no. Um her her family, you know, there's the colorism in the black community, particularly at that time, is you marry someone that is of the same shade or lighter, so you have the positionality in the United States and, and not to be um pigeonholed as a black person. Um My grandmother, though, did the opposite of what the rest of her family did. And she she went the opposite direction. Um, So what she did was she she understood the realities of of colorism. um, And she she just felt that, you know, she would take advantage of what she could take advantage of. Yet she still was very clear that if she was asked about it, that she is a black woman.
1: Oh, thank you for sharing that with us, and, and we'll talk more uh, with you in just a minute. Amy Steigerwald, um, you are a, a distinguished professor at Georgia State University, have been obviously having a, an outstanding career being the incoming chair of the department, but how did this all start for you? No
0: one ever believes me. But I am actually originally from Georgia. I was born at Northside Hospital and uh, grew up here. Uh, my family, though, is from, so my mom's family is all from Boston and my, or outside of Boston, and my father's family is from outside of Allentown. And my dad was actually one of the first people that worked at the CDC uh, when it was first started. So he was there for his whole career. I think it was like two and a half years or something. Um, and so that's how we, that's how sort of my family was here. But so I was the one here. Um, I cannot fake a Southern accent to save my life. This is me talking slow. <laughs>
1: um,
0: in eighth grade, I was asked to bring, by the teacher to bring in my birth certificate because no one believed me that I could possibly be from the South, um, even though I was. But so um, I went here and then went to Emory and then went and got my um, doctorate, though, at uh, University of California, Berkeley, And then we were sort of all over the world, and if you would have told me when I left that I'd be back and living four turns away from where I grew up near Stone Mountain Park, I would have laughed at you, but there we are. Um, It was sort of amusing when we realized that we bought a house that was right by the spaghetti factory, which is where my family would go for all of its... you know, different things. So obviously, by the time I was going to school, I had a very different thing. We were obviously completely integrated. I was in Gwinnett County, which um, it was, you know, even back then, uh, so this was, you know, sort of 80s and 90s, was one of the fastest growing and had, you know, uh, particularly large sort uh, part of uh, Asian, Southeast Asian populations, things like that. Um, I was going to say sort of my experience was a little bit different, and I mean I've mentioned this on and sort of been hinted at, but um, I was one of four Jews in the entire school. And so that was sort of its own thing, Um, you know, sort of in that, but, you know, at least it was that, but it, you know, because that that would bring up sort of some interesting things of, you know, people wanting to know. I, I was asked one time actually had horns because people had been taught that. So that was kind of a, a fascinating one, but definitely a wildly sort of different experience. Um, but my dad was interested, he was one of the first people actually really to lead. So he's from sort of the uh, Pennsylvania Dutch, uh, you know, which of course is German community. Um, and actually my grandfather, I didn't realize this while I was older, but his um, nickname was Dutch, which I knew, but that was because when he went to kindergarten, he only spoke German. So even though the family had come over in, like, the 1700s, everyone in the community still spoke German. My Like, they actually lived in a line. Like, my grandmother and then her brother was on one side, and my grandfather's sister lived on the other side, and they were all sort of in a row. Like, literally sort of everybody lived there, and the houses are all still there that they built by themselves after going and cutting down trees and then doing it.
1: So it's um, sort of a wildly different experience in that way. So, Amy, um, being uh, one of four Jewish kids, uh, you were subject at times to uh, maybe not overt anti-Semitism, but people who were perplexed by just what it meant that you were Jewish, or did you experience overt anti-Semitism? We just lost 15, uh, your... There you oh, go. Sorry. Can right you hear me?
0: Okay. Uh, when, when the temple that I went to when I was growing up was first built, um, Temple that Jacob, uh, sort of out in Snellville, um, it was, I mean, I'm not sure, I guess there were Molotov cocktails that were thrown out when they were in the midst of building it, right? Another vandalism and, and things like that. And so that certainly was going on. And there were that happened... Um, I mean, I did have a friend one time. We were on a field trip, and she turned to me and said, "Like, you know, you're one of my best friends." And I said, "Yes." And then she said, "But, you know, you're going to hell, right?" And I said, bad. Yeah. That those two yeah. things could be yeah. true. Um, I did a teacher that made me feel. He wanted to make me feel better, so he informed me that um, Jews got a second chance at Judgment Day because since the Bible said that we were God's chosen people, the way that they were going to handle that was we got a second chance. So I've always felt good knowing that. Um, you know, popped up like that. But some of it was, you know, sort of, I don't know, you could kind of learn to just look past it because you have to.
1: Yeah. I, I, I have learned over the years, I mean, there's lots of different reactions to people being Jewish. I mean, in some are completely neutral. they are say, so what? Good for you. But I've also learned that, yes, we encounter some anti-Semitism, um, if not you know, really overt, at least sort of a passive form of anti-Semitism. Uh, I got a bargain because I Jewed him down, uh, an example of that, that I've heard in my life. But then I also um, have friends who sort of envy the fact that I'm Jewish and say, gee, you're really special. How can I be more? You know, maybe I should be Jewish too, which I find really interesting, but true. Jim Galloway, um, I want to talk about the experiences uh, that uh, each of you has had, Um, you and Chuck as journalists, and then um, Amy and Tammy in terms of your work in political science. But let's do this. I just looked at the clock. We're really on point to get a break in. So let's do that and we'll come back with more on Political Rewind.
2: Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News's extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon.
1: Jim Galloway, I think I am correct that in your first uh, job as a journalist in newspaper work, you... Um, were uh, assigned to the weekend shift, and therefore had to spend some time covering the Klan. Is that right? And what year uh, are we talking about?
2: Well, this was this was uh, it wasn't wasn't my first job. I, I, I worked a little bit uh, in, in in South Carolina and learned and and made all my mistakes there. Then came back to 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 Atlanta in in seventy nine, and 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 yeah, for I started out there as a an editor. Uh, and 23-year-old editors telling 50-year-old men and women what to do didn't quite work out, so I went back to reporting. <laughs> uh, and, and yeah, I, I had the weekend shift at the Atlanta Journal because it was a separate paper that, that, at that point. And, and uh, uh, I was young. I was expendable. Uh, so yeah, I, uh, back, back then, and it, it's, it, look, it's a, it's a, we, we address the same question right now with, with uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene uh uh you want to you you wanted to cover the clan but you didn't want to really write about them unless something terrific ter- ter- terrible happened to them because you didn't want to give them that kind of ink uh and so you know you you sent a a, a young person who who's, whose time you could e- easily waste uh to do that it it was uh it was an interesting experience exper- experience um uh, i met ran I met uh uh jb stoner uh the 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 uh the, the racist who who's ultimately did time for 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 a bombing in Alabama Ed Fields uh who uh who's kind of the brains of the outfit uh uh and uh, i i got a good dose of uh of uh of uh the the religion of race so it was it was that was it was kind of a, a good experience for me uh you uh you, you learned to you, you 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 learned what people were capable of.
1: And and were you They knew you were there as a reporter. uh I oh, absolutely. Assume, or did you sort of? And how and how were they? How were you greeted? Uh, no, they, they were. They
2: were actually. They they they, they actually were, were were pleased to have me there because they 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 wanted all the publicity they they got. I was at one spot, uh, and this goes back probably to eighty one or so, and. Uh, there was a uh, a fellow out near I, I think Social Circle, a, a a young black man who was found hanging. Uh, uh, the authorities ruled it suicide. Uh, the black community there thought it was something else, and uh, they organized uh, a, uh, a a a march. And so I was there, and I you know I I, I made my first uh, civil rights friend at that point, Tyrone Brooks he was the he was uh, the leader he was the leader of it uh uh and uh, uh he he was over to the house not too long ago and we we, we kind of uh kind of chewed that over again but uh uh you met you, that was the good thing about it is you started meeting people who were confronting the Klan, and it was it was kind of my 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 first uh in uh introduction to 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 to, to black leadership in Georgia uh, and it, it was uh, it was it was it was a very educational experience.
1: Yeah, you know, Chuck, you started uh, was sports reporting your first entry into to journalism down in Columbus.
3: It was, but I want to play off something Jim just said because my formative experience on race was during my internship at Troy. I did my internship in the summer of 1982 in the george wallace gubernatorial campaign i was working for elvin stanton who was his comms director and i didn't realize then how much that played into where i am now and how i think because if you remember george wallace in 82 he was running against Henry farm from governor of alabama farmer was a far-right mayor of montgomery very similar to some of the far-right politicians you see today and um, they called him the Maritola. Um, and I was—I got to travel the state um, on my own, and also with some journalists. There were British journalists that were in here working, following Wallace. He was being supported by the, by a large number of blacks. He was the Democratic nominee. Um, I had two very distinct experiences on that campaign trip. One was in Talladega. It was on the Sunday morning of a race at Talladega. And I saw the old Wallace supporters in that infield as I was handing out uh, Wallace bumper stickers. And if you remember the Wallace bumper stickers, they were very distinct. They were this rich blue with this orange Wallace. And I was handing out Wallace bumper stickers in Talladega. And a lot of the people that were getting them embraced the old Wallace, not the Wallace that was running as a Democrat, with large Black support. But then I attended a rally, Walker County, Alabama, Jasper, and Tammy Wynette, who's from that area, was the, was the warm-up act, if you can call Tammy Wynette a warm-up act. She was the warm-up act for, uh, for Governor Wallace's speech. And, She was on the stage, and she began to sing Stand By Your Man. And I remember standing there and listening to her sing Stand By Your Man as Governor Wallace was in a wheelchair by then, as they rolled Governor Wallace onto the stage. And there was a journalist from Britain there, and I think he was from the Guardian, but I may be wrong. And he looked around and said, Black supporting George Wallace makes as much sense as Tammy Wynette seeing "Stand by Your Man" five husbands, and that yeah. line stuck to me <laughs> on the, the, the just how strange politics is, and that that well, was I, kind of where I, my teeth were cut.
1: You know, it's funny you tell that story. Amy, uh, I remember the 1990 Georgia governor's race. Um, Zell Miller, I I, want to say it was in Albany, but I can't be sure of that. It was certainly a South Georgia event. Tammy Wynette was there for him. And with Zell Miller standing uh, next to her, she "Saying, stand by your man. It, It kind of made me wonder, now that Chuck's told his story, Amy, how many times Tammy Wynette may have stood next to a political leader she <laughs> supported and sang that song? <laughs> I cannot
0: answer that question. <laughs> uh.
1: Amy, a- a- Amy, let me, um, we're going to come back to hearing some stories from Chuck and Jim about their journalistic experiences. But but let me, given you're going into political science as a profession, um, I would love to hear Uh, a story or two, start with one, uh, about the things that have shaped your thinking as a political science uh, professor, and and the things actually that led you in that direction, I suppose.
0: So I guess to back it up, I've always been interested, I don't know, I guess I was always a social studies person, so in fact... um, Governor's Honors Program, I I think, is still happening. Um, When I went, it was at Valdosta State University, and I was a sock stud, which meant we did social studies. We thought we were very cool because we could, uh, you know, abbreviate our name in these studs. That's what happens when you get a bunch of nerds together. Um, And I was sort of always interested, and I remember taking AP US history, and we had a time where the Coach Corden assigned everybody to have to read kind of a real research, right? Not just sort of a textbook. And then he turned to me and he said, all right, Amy, I've got five for you. And I said, oh, cool. Um, which perhaps should have been an indication of where I was gonna go with my life. And one of the books I read actually was V.O. um Mind of the South, which really gave sort of this overview of putting it in context. And he was one of uh, the first scholars to really sort of critically assess the idea of white primaries and also sort of this concept of how the rules that are set so much determine the outcomes of what occurs. And so we need to really pay attention to both who's making the rules and also what rules are made. And so my any of my students who are listening know that I say constantly structure matters. Um, But I also uh, always thought I was gonna go to law school until I had a professor actually in undergrad who one day took me to lunch and said, "Okay, talk to me, why do you want to go to law school?" And I gave her my answer and she looked at me and said, "You don't want to go to law school. You want to study courts." And she handed me a thick book of uh journal articles. I, I think it was an uh, American Political Science Review or something like that. And said, "Go read these and then come back to me." And I read them and was like, "Oh my god, this is amazing." Like, "Wait, I I can analyze this stuff. This is fabulous." And so there I was. The The irony there was actually Deborah Barrow, who at the time had, was a professor at Auburn and was at uh, Emory guest lecturing. And the reason was because she was going to law school and then left academia and became a lawyer. And so one of her, I guess, last tasks while doing that was to convince me not to go to law school um, and instead uh, to study. <laughs> and so I've always been very thankful that she did that because I I really like what I do.
1: Well, Uh, Amy uh, and Tammy, uh, I I went to a website that I I imagine teachers despise, rate my professors. Uh, But I do want to say, Amy, uh, that uh, here's one that I heard read about you. I love Dr. Steigerwald. Don't expect to take her classes and not work hard, though. She expects a lot, but it is definitely doable. She is super accessible outside of class and will continue helping you generally, un- genuinely understand. Um, she, she, uh, her data project is by far her hardest assignment, but she's a lenient grader and doesn't penalize quickly or too much. So, Amy, that's one of the raves on there. Tammy, I'm going to read one of yours in a minute as well, although we all know, you know, Rate My Professor is sort of like reading uh, social media about this show. Uh, you recognize there are some people who really like what you do and others who, for whatever reason, can't stand you. <laughs> but, Tammy, um, your path into political science is interesting to me um, because I suspect that it is um, p- part of what motivated you is, is something that matters to you most of all, which is um, is civic engagement. I mean, we talk about this with you on the show with some regularity. You care deeply about people not just watching the process, not just critiquing it, but finding ways to become actively involved so they can make a difference. Have I got that right?
4: Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, again, going back to the matriarchs and my family, um, my both of my grandmothers and even my great grandmother, you know, did not have the ability to officially participate in civics um, until they were much older. My great grandmother, she was almost seventy, um, and then my uh, my other two grandmothers, you know, they were grown and had children before they were able to, you know, actively participate. And so you know, in, in the process of listening to them to talk about politics, um, to talk about policy, to talk about structure, and perhaps not using those specific words, um, but listening to the conversations, it was clear to me, you know, the, the importance of being involved and, and to find a place where you can participate so that you can, you know, make uh, change happen in the community. And that's probably perhaps why I focus a lot on the state and local level, because I saw that um, that that work, whether it was at church um, and my church members being involved in politics um, and seeing the the journeys that they went through um, and, you know, being the nerd, Amy, and being in high school watching pbs as ross perot is delivering his economic plan and i'm thinking this is the most amazing thing ever um it's it it's to me what i've witnessed uh, and what has shaped me is being part of the process is how you get the process to change um being on the outside doesn't necessarily Um, add any value, particularly if there's a seat at the table for you and and you don't take it.
1: I'd say uh, I I do have to get to our final break of the show, but uh, Tammy, here's what one of your students wrote on uh, Rate My Professor. Dr. Greer is an amazing professor, but here's the line that I thought was really lovely. She taught me to be not so opinionated and to hear both sides of the argument. I mean, I think that's about as much praise as you could possibly ask for, isn't it?
4: That is amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. All right.
1: <laughs> let's, let's, let's get to our final break of the show. When we come back, I'm going to ask each of our uh, panelists, with the time that we have left, give us one story that has had an impact on you that continues to this day. You're listening to Political Rewind. I think you all know we're in a pledge period here at GPB Radio. Typically, uh, we take uh, big chunks of time on Political Rewind to turn you over to our pledge team to ask you to please help support the programming that we're doing here at the radio side. Um, We're not doing that because our managers know that you really care about having a full show. But uh, you can go to gpb.org and uh, make a donation that helps us uh, continue on the air. If you've already done it, thanks. If not, consider doing it now. Um, Amy Seger, while well, I'm going to start with you on this, because uh, if you tell the story that you told me, I think you have a remarkable story about something. It may not have changed your life, but it opened your eyes to a perspective about Americans as opposed to people uh, living in other parts of the world.
0: Yes, so I, one of the reasons why I think, you know, we we try to travel a lot internationally now is I never got to go overseas until well after college and didn't go to Europe until I was in my late 20s for the first time. Um, And we, one of the places we went to was London and we were staying with a, a friend of a friend and I remember being out one day and we're walking around and I needed to throw something away. And there are no... Trash cans on the city streets in London. And I remember turning to Bree, who was the fantastic person we were staying with, and saying, Why are there not any trash cans? And she looked at me and said, simply, because people put bombs in them. So they had to remove all of them. And that was kind of mind blowing. This this was post 9-11. This was, we were now sort of supposedly, you know, thinking about terrorism and realizing like, We actually don't, in the United States, live with it on a day-to-day basis in the same way that people do in lots of other places, right? That in London, the way that things are set up and and where it is is because, yeah, that was kind of a really common occurrence. Um, A similar thing, actually, when we went to Israel and as we were you know, first met our, our tour guides, they showed us the map of how long you had when the bomb siren went off to go to shelter, depending on where you were in the country. And it ranges from about 15 seconds to 45 seconds, depending on sort of where you are. Um, and again, it was sort of this realization that like, and it was sort of, it was given to us as just part of the prep of like, here, this is information you need to know as we go about our day, so, very matter of fact, like, this is just life, um, which really sort of became clear when we sort of talk about things when we talk about fear in the United States that we honestly We we are very very lucky um and don't really have the same view of it and in, in comprehension
1: My very quick story about Israel and security is that on uh, one of the trips that I was assigned to go over there uh, I was with a team and we brought a ton of gear with us and um We were going to uh, 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 leave Israel. We were at the Tel Aviv airport, and the um, uh, guy who was driving, who was one of my partners from WSB TV, said, I'm going to pull up in front of the terminal so we can go in, get our ticketing straight, And then I'll come back out and get the gear out of the back of the car. And I said, Rick, this is Tel Aviv. You don't leave things like that sitting at a terminal. That was my uh, way of explaining to him a little bit about (laughs) security. Tammy, I I know there's lots of stories, but if you could focus on one, what's a story that stays with you to this day that maybe impacts you as a teacher as an as a person as a human being whatever
4: um my family um, belongs to the oldest black Catholic Church in Texas um and it's a little bitty church and um so uh again during formative years uh, we ha- we had um brother priests for a very long time they were there for us and um one day the the father, Paul, he he said, uh, I'm going to do something. And that's all he said. And the next week when we came back, all of the statues and the stations of the cross were missing. And then the next week we came back and he was just very giddy um, and he had everything like draped over. And then he pulled down the drapes and he had all of the stations of the cross, all of the statues painted brown. He said, um, you know, 30 years ago, he said, there's no reason in the world that this black church should not be looking at um, those figures. And what it did for me, you know, he changed the music. We had a gospel choir. We had a jazz choir. He said that basically representation mattered.
1: Yeah, I I love that story. Chuck and then Jim, we've got about four minutes. So split it up so you can both get a chance.
3: Mine'll be quick. Um, my I was fortunate enough in 2015 to cover gender integration, gender integration of U.S. Army Rangers. I covered the first three women to earn the Ranger tab, Kristen Grice, Shea Haver, and Lisa Jasper. I got to know them after the process pretty well. And great respect for them. But they had a lot of chances, particularly Grice and Haver, to do a number of interviews. They were any. Everybody wanted them from Oprah down. They did one inter. They did uh, and Haver did an interview with me, and I did a narrative on them getting booze And it was at that point that I understood how much stories mattered, and how much allowing people to share their experience in something that everybody had an opinion on in the United States Army, from generals to privates, about whether or not women should receive the most arduous training in the Army. And to be able to get to know those women and to understand from their perspective why it was important and to understand they didn't want standards on it. They wanted to achieve the standards that were set forth for that school. That experience over the last seven, eight years has shaped the way I report toward the internet.
1: You won a number of awards for your work on that story too, didn't you?
3: Uh, I did. It was the only thing I ever had that was Pulitzer nominated. I did not win Pulitzer, but it won the. um, the McClatchy
1: uh, uh, Presidents Award. So, yeah, it, it was a highlight of
2: my career. Jim Galloway
1: closes off. Okay, I'm going to
2: leave you some, with something light. A- allegedly, right? Okay, all right. I'm on. I'm on the other side of the Georgia border in South Carolina. My first job, and we have a televangelist moving from Ohio to the little town of Greenwood, and he starts buying all the property. He wants to be mayor. He wants to be governor. Uh, uh and we kind of look start looking at him, found out that gosh darn, his 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 his, his cathedral in, in, in Delaware, Ohio was dynamited. Within a couple of weeks of after he bought a million dollar uh, uh, insurance for him, uh, so we, so we, so we, so we, we, uh, you know, uh, me and uh, me and me uh, and my my partner make a trip to to Ohio in my little '68 Beetle. We we uh, meet uh, with a, I have a, a nighttime meeting with one of his cohorts in his car, and he pulls out a gun, and uh, and he says, "This is what I needed just to make sure you were who you said you were." And and it was that moment that I said, this is a great, it's a great job journalism is. I think I'll do it
1: forever. (laughs) (laughs) I have never in my years as a journalist had a gun pulled on me. Congratulations, Jim Galloway. Amy Steigerwald, um, Chuck Williams, uh, uh, Tammy Greer, and Jim Galloway, thank you for letting us know more about who you are beyond your political analysis that you give us so beautifully on this show We're out of time. Uh, We'll be back with a brand new show on Monday. In the meantime, take care, stay healthy, and be kind to one another. Bye, everybody.